I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If you find Sidney Crosby's quotes boring, as some people do... Maybe listen a little closer. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio. You're listening to The Daily Shot, which is the program I put together every Monday through Friday, bright and early in the morning like this, available on all podcasting platforms. I'm convinced it's all of them. I don't know that there's a podcasting platform that we aren't on But just in case you need a partial list, it's Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast. And yes, I do these off the top of my head at this point. Make sure you subscribe. They're all free. They're all readily available for automatic downloads, which is how we prefer to be sneaking into your devices and your cars and so forth. I spent yesterday at the UPMC Lemieux Sports Complex up in Cranberry, And couldn't have had a better time. And I know you're not supposed to say stuff like that about work. You know, ah, it works, but, you know, it's just work and whatever else here. I I legitimately had a good time. I enjoyed being around hockey, hearing hockey in addition to seeing it, uh, watching the players genuinely embrace the situation that they're in. It wasn't some uh, negative uh, or pensive, cautious reaction to anything. And this on a day where they learned that morning, the players did, that nine of the 32 weren't going to participate because they were being held out for extra, extra, extra precautionary reasons. If you read closely into uh, the Penguins setting Patrick Hornquist and eight others aside because they had contact with somebody who had contact with somebody who had contact with somebody who might have had contact with somebody who might have coronavirus. I think the press release went something like that. And then there's Sid out there flying around. And If you're tired of hearing good things about Sidney Crosby, go right ahead and flip to something else. Because I'm not tired of saying them. There was a dump-in drill that the Penguins were doing. A dump-in drill. Where basically you get the puck, go over go over center red, uh, do an aerial over the, the last defenseman's head, make sure that it lands somewhere softly and safely in a, in a corner, and then you go get it yourself. This is a different forechecking scheme, and no, I'm not giving things away that the Montreal Canadiens won't find out for themselves. A different-looking forechecking scheme. And it's the last thing. If you're a forward, if you play the game at any level, it's the last thing you want to do is a dump into yourself. Because you're doing the dumping, which is right off the bat insulting, because you'd much rather just stick handle through the whole crowd. 
And then on top of that, you're told to go get it, or at least go pressure the defenseman who has his back to you to go get it. So Sid goes and does this, and he skates hard for this pointless exercise, at least as far as getting the puck is concerned. And the Penguins defenseman will wrap it from one to the other behind the net. So you know there's no chance of getting it, but he, he executes it the way he does. And Jake Gensel goes right after that. Jake goes just as hard. You know why? Because he has no choice, because Sidney bleeping Crosby just did it. And so on and so forth. Then Connor Sheary, uh, then Jason Zucker, then everybody who did it. Evgeny Malkin did it. He, okay, Gino wasn't as interested, okay? But he at least did it, all right? Why does Sid do that? What pushes his buttons? It is amazing that Sid's been around town as long as he has. And I, I don't know that we've ever known a more accessible, a more visible, a more available athlete less than what we know of what makes Sid tick. You know, you don't see uh, social media stories about him, uh, you know, meaning that he would make himself. Here's other things that Sid is doing. Uh, he's horseback riding or he's this or that. He actually does have other interests and they're fascinating. And he talks about them and he's talked about them with me quietly and privately. He doesn't call attention to them. But really, the reason is He's all about hockey. And within hockey, he's all about championships. This is the singular gear that he has when it comes to the sport. He's won a lot of different things over his brilliant career already. Olympics, world championships, three Stanley Cups, all the individual awards that he's won in the NHL. Everything that he'd won in juniors and world juniors and everything. He, he's, he's achieved everything, but he wants more. And what makes someone operate like that? I mentioned on a show last week that Sid believes in the window concept. And for anyone who missed that, plain and simple, Sid is so aware of the time frame in which he's going to be truly great and he pushes so hard to achieve everything that he can within that his enemy his ultimate opponent isn't the flyers or the capitals it's time it's always been time when he was younger when he was sid the kid he was aware of it that's what drove him nuts during the concussion time because he knew he was losing time He's legacy-driven based on championships, and he sees that within a window. And if anybody needed to be reminded of that, yes, I brought it up with Sid myself yesterday, and this was his response. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have uh, you know, a career or a short window in your career to, to be able to do that. Um, you know, anytime you get uh, an opportunity to play, play for the Stanley Cup, you want to try to take advantage of it. It's not easy, but... Um, certainly it's a great feeling and we've, uh, we felt it before and we know what it takes and, uh, we've got a great opportunity. So, um, yeah, I think that, uh, that's your goal every year and, um, you know, we're in a position to, to compete for it and, uh, we got to find a, find a way to get, uh, get it done. Time, time, time. 
That's how he sees it. That's his battle. There aren't many players in the history of the NHL, certainly not in the modern NHL, who have four rings or five rings or whatever it is that Sid has in his head as being attainable. But that's what motivates him. That's what pushes him. Do you remember Mike Babcock over in Sochi when he was coaching Team Canada told a group of us, this was before, uh, it was was on an off day for Team Canada after a practice and somebody, one of the Canadian reporters there, Ask the obligatory, isn't Sid awesome kind of question. And Mike Babcock came back with the best description I've ever heard of Sid, in which he described him as a serial winner, meaning he does everything on the rink that's necessary to win the game. He doesn't care particularly what that is. He'll excel at it because he's looking at the game from the standpoint of did we score one more goal than the other. And sometimes when you hear stuff like this, it's easy to roll the eyes and because everyone's a team player, everyone cares about winning, whatever. Sid's lived it. Sid's exemplified it. And if maybe along the way, this isn't to take anything away from the core that's been around him over the years, not just Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang, but other guys who were here previously, Chris Kunitz, Marc-Andre Fleury, Brooks Orpik, guys had been here for a long time. They were part of that initial core when he came along. If Sid maybe brought them onto that wagon and made them feel like they were a part of this mission to just keep accumulating championships, if you'll recall, in 2009, when the Penguins did finally get past the Red Wings, And they did it with all these young guys. It was Sid, Gino, Jordan, Stahl. Uh, Latang was young at the time. Flower was a baby. It felt like they were going to rule the world. You recall that? Because they they were just so fresh and fun and energetic and passionate. And and look, stuff went wrong, including for Sid after that. So I'm not faulting that group. What I'm pointing toward here is that Crosby set the trajectory back then. He knew what he wanted to achieve back then, and it was going to be based on championships. And as soon as the Penguins got through that early hurdle, facing the Ottawa Senators, who were really tough in the early point in his his career here in Pittsburgh, and then facing down the Red Wings, and then beating the Red Wings the year after losing to them in the final, getting to the final two years in a row, He started to develop that pattern right there. And then, of course, it carries on into the Olympics in 2010 in Vancouver, 2014 in Sochi, where he he was not just a gold medalist, he was the captain. And in in Vancouver, he was the guy who scored the overtime winner, serial winner. It's been an amazing career, but for him, it's just a race. It's a race because he can see... The day will come when he's 35, 36, 37 years old, and maybe his style with the spinning and the whirling and the grinding won't lend itself to a smoother evolution as an older player the way it did, say, with Mario. Remember how Mario evolved into more, whenever he came out of retirement, into more of a a Brett Hall-type off-wing sniper? 
I'm sure Sid will come up with something. He might come up with several somethings. But for the time being, he's that grinding guy. That's why he's on a line and happy to be on a line right now with Jake Gensel and Connor Sherry because they're like that too. And it's just Sid and the kids still and they're flying around. Well, he doesn't know how long he's going to be able to do that. So when he sees this team, this deep, talented, together team, and they see the drive in him to keep winning more, yeah, all things are possible. Don't ever, don't ever count Sidney Crosby out of a championship run. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Sid's line and and the way the other lines shaped up yesterday at practice. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. to share from the Penguins' first day at camp yesterday. Uh, Maybe not so funny to Connor Sherry, but he's out there after the session was done, after the hour was up, and they set up one of those uh, cardboard, they're not really cardboard, more like kind of solid wood or other simulated surface, but just call it for the sake of it, cardboard goaltender in which you're shooting for corners, basically. You're not aiming five hole. You basically go every hole but five. And he just had somebody feeding him pucks repeatedly and just trying to nail corners, nail corners. You can imagine Connor Sheary, the frustration that he's had in recent years, certainly since since leaving Pittsburgh. Uh, he was a significant disappointment in Buffalo. And now, all of a sudden, just like that, He's on a top line on a top team with two world-class players in Sid and Jake. And there he is out there just pummeling this poor cardboard goalie. Other than, of course, the ones that went in. The second segment of this show is always sponsored by the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. And now, during the pandemic, the need for food is even greater. If you're in need of food assistance or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people in need and eliminating hunger in western Pennsylvania, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell it out, too. pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food for up to five meals. 
Shiri is going to stay with Jake and Sid, at least unless we see something go really, really wrong in training camp, which I'm not anticipating. I was way more intrigued by the setup on the second line. Jason Zucker was placed next to Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. And Zucker can fit in. Like, if you dropped him on a colony on Venus, he would just instantly just assimilate with the population. That, that's how, how I think of him after the way he came to Pittsburgh following the trade with the Minnesota Wild. I don't know that Mike Sullivan and staff had five minutes to spend with him before he went out for his first game and just fit the system like a T. He and I talked about it that night. And then we talked about it after that, and I brought it up uh, with him yet again yesterday. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like um, it was it was a weird time for the layoff because I felt like I was getting more comfortable in the system. Um, you know, and then, and then you have, you know, all these months, so it was nice to... Uh, to be able to study the system a little bit while um, while we were away to, to stay sharp on it. Um, but overall, I, I mean, I, I, I love the system. I think it does fit uh, my game very well. Uh, I'm excited to, you know, be playing in this system and, and to, to learn it a little bit better. Um, and now learn it a little bit more playing alongside um, Malkin and Rusty. Jason Zucker is, and I'm going to try my best Mike Sullivan impression here, a good hockey player. Good hockey player. That's the highest compliment that can be paid by Mike Sullivan, incidentally. It never gets more complex or layered than that. It just, you got to say it with that voice. Zucker can do anything. He can fit in with Malkin. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm a little bit concerned, though, about what it does for the overall second versus third line dynamic at five on five. And here's why. If you go back to the Penguins' most recent championships, they had, of course, the HBK line with Nick Benino between Phil Kessel and Carl Hagelin. They're going to be legend around here forever for their contributions as a third line. That is rare air when you find chemistry at that deep a spot on your chart. But the Penguins struck gold there, and it made them, in large part, just impossible to defend. Because one of the keys to the success of the HBK line is they would go out against the third defense pairing. Think about it. You're not going to change your your pairings up or your matchups and then let Sid and Gino get away with whatever they want. Your worst defensemen were going to go against HBK. And if HBK pinned those guys into the zone, it really changed the whole complexion of the game got you more power plays, more shots, more shot attempts, wore down the defense. It was just a great, great way to win playoff games. And they did. And so I guess there's a part of me that's still not necessarily looking for HBK, but looking for that third-line depth, that's looking for that third line that can come at you, that can punish you, that can occasionally, you know, Pump a goal or two past you, which was the other beautiful thing about that line. So as this is set up, if Zucker is next to Malkin and Rust as he was yesterday, that sets up Patrick Marlowe, the future Hall of Famer, next to Jared McCann at center, 
which I've never been crazy about. I'm sorry. And then Patrick Hornquist, once he's back from being held out, which I would presume that he will be. And I see a line there that has some possibilities. I don't know exactly what. Uh, McCann is not uh, a playmaking-type center, and I'm being generous when I say that. He's, he's much more of a shooter, much more of a grinder. Um, he's not even that particularly great defensively. I think there's a lot of good things about Jared McCann's game, and his character is impeccable, so this isn't a criticism of his willingness to do anything. But I look at that line, and I'm not seeing a whole lot of creativity and puck management in the offensive zone, sustaining an attack, which is what I want more than anything else out of a third line. Uh, Patrick Marlowe is going to earn his place in Toronto when he's inducted. But is he a fit for a third line? I don't know. Uh, This is one reason that I kept throwing out there that Malkin could have held on to Marlowe as his winger And you could have seen Zucker, who's much more of that type of player that I'm describing, uh, that would have applied more consistent pressure to the opponent uh, at all points of the rink. So, you know, is, is this a cause for a panic or anything like that? No, it's not. But I will say that whenever Mike Sullivan was asked about having Zucker with Malkin, Uh, He first said something like, you know, we want to see whatever it is. But he also hedged. He said something to the effect of, you know, it might not stay that way. So I have a feeling that of all the little things that we're going to be able to watch here over the next couple of weeks before the Penguins go up to their bubble in Toronto, one of them is going to be how well Zucker looks like he fits in with Malkin and how Marlowe fits in with McCann and Hornquist. And that's going to be tougher, of course, the longer Hornquist is out. The fourth line is the fourth line. If you wonder why I'm not even mentioning those guys, because I just don't. There's nothing to say. Uh, You know, Brandon Tanev, Teddy Bluger, and Zach Aston Reese, by the way, had a terrific practice. Does that count for anybody? You know, people are always asking, who looked good up there? Who looked good? And it's always a tough thing to answer because you're just watching a practice. Everything Zach Aston Reese did was good. It was very encouraging, including this bar down beauty of a goal that he scored at one point. See, I just got you all irrationally wound up for nothing. Now you're all thinking, like, oh, now he's going to end up in the Conn Smythe race or something. That line is just so steady and so solid, and it's a great thing for the Penguins to have. Uh, Again, when you go back to the two most recent championship teams, there always was a fourth line of some kind. It it usually wasn't all that sexy. You know, remember in 2017, it was Carter Rowney and company. So I think the Penguins are better on the fourth line, even though the fourth line back then had Matt Cullen uh, at, at times. I think this will be a better fourth line overall than what the Penguins had back then. But there's something between that second and third that I still need to feel in order to see the Penguins' group of forwards as being this, uh, just this machine, you know? 
And when I think of that, again, I think back not so much to 2017, but to 2016, that group that was just piling up a zillion shots and shot attempts and just terrifying teams and goaltenders by just going at them relentlessly, constantly in their faces. This is a different team. This is a different time, actually, than 2016 because opponents have adjusted. They've gotten more mobile defensemen. The league has adjusted to what the Penguins did those two years. But I still want to see some greater certainty on the left wing between the second and third lines before I'll feel really, really, really good about this forward group. Coming up today at 3 o'clock, it's Jeff Hartman's Back Through the Tunnel show in which he always has a guest on from our staff. And they talk about one thing through the whole show. Kind of like I did with this one. Thank you so much for listening. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.